Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there, food followers around the world. Welcome to episode 69 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. That is me. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, before we get into it, a quick message to say that this month we have teamed up with Cine Asia here in the UK to give away three copies of their latest release on Blu-ray. The Swordsman is a brilliant South Korean martial arts film. It stars Jai Hook and Joe Taslim. It is available to buy on DVD and digital from today here in the UK and on Blu-ray from the 24th of May, but you can win a free copy in this month's competition. All you have to do is sign up now to our newsletter via the website kungfumovieguide.com. Full competition details will be announced in our next newsletter, which will be released on the 31st of May. So... Become a registered Foo follower today to be in with a chance of winning The Swordsman on Blu-ray. You can also read our review of The Swordsman right now on our website, kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This is the fourth episode in our sixth season of podcasts, and it features my conversation with the one and only Ron Van Cleef. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. (laughs) Hello, hello, hello there, Foo followers around the world, wherever you are listening to this episode of the kung fu movie guide podcast thank you so much for checking it out i hope you are keeping well i hope you're staying safe and i do hope that things are good wherever you are we're slowly coming out of lockdown here now in the uk so we are starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here we have ron van cleef on the show today that's grandmaster ron van cleef the Black Dragon himself. What an absolute joy this was to spend some time chatting to Ron over Zoom. Ron is obviously a legend of the martial arts world, five-time karate and kung fu world champion, 15-time All-American champion. He's a former US Marine and New York City cop. He's the founder of his own combat system, Chinese Goju-Ru Karate. He holds the record for being the oldest competitor in the UFC when he fought Royce Gracie in UFC 4. Ron has written a ton of books. He got the nickname The Black Dragon from someone you may have heard of, Bruce Lee. And uh, he became the first black actor to become a major star in Hong Kong in the 1970s with so many classic kung fu movies of course the black dragon from 1974 the black dragon's revenge 1975 the way of the black dragon 1978 kung fu fever 
1979. Rod is currently 78 years old. And as you'll find out, he's still training pretty hard. He's trying to get a black belt at the moment in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was a real honour to do this. So, um, listen, I'll talk a little bit more about Ron in a little bit. But before I do, let's just close out the Mortal Kombat thing for the time being. I have now seen the Mortal Kombat film. It has been out now in the UK for a little while. My review is up on the website kungfumovieguide.com. So please do log on there to see what I thought about it. It's been fascinating reading all the contrasting opinions on this movie. Also, it has been wonderful to read all the positive and amazing reviews for The Paper Tigers. That film landed in North America on the 7th of May, and I believe it's still out and screening at a number of theatres across the USA and Canada. And of course, you can get it on VOD services as well. So, the response to that movie has just been overwhelming. I know that Bao, the director, and a lot of the cast have just been blown away by the huge amount of positivity that they're getting for that movie. If you haven't seen The Paper Tigers yet, then I would urge you to try and seek it out if it is available where you are. It is a very heartwarming and funny indie action comedy. And if you did like the movie, then I would urge you to check out our previous episode of this podcast in which I spoke to the film's director and writer and co-producer, that's Tran Guoc Bao, and also the stars of the film, that's Elaine Ui, Ron Yuan, and Mikhail Shannon Jenkins. My review for The Paper Tigers is on our website as well. All previous episodes of the podcast are available, of course, from wherever it is that you do get your podcasts. We've been flying the flag here for martial arts movies and the people who make them since 2016. So we do have quite a few episodes out there now in our archive. I got a nice message on Twitter uh, the other day, which I thought I would read out. I don't normally read out these types of messages, but uh, I, I, there was a few that I had highlighted. So I thought I'd just share them with you all. This came in from Andy Lewin. On Twitter, Andy wrote, just found your podcast this week and am absolutely loving it. Thank you. Been a Kung Fu cinema fan for over 30 years. So happy to have a podcast from a fellow Brit on the subject. So thank you, Andy. That was a really nice message. Following last week's Paper Tigers special, I did also get uh, this tweet that came in from Ellie. Ellie at Hey Testing This. Ellie wrote, great interview. Lots of hard work and obstacles went into this movie. Excited to see it when it comes out. Thank you so much, Ellie, for that message. And I do hope that you managed to see the Paper Tigers on the big screen. Here's a tweet that came in from Kung Fu Carlito. This was following the episode with Isaac Florentine and Max Raposi. The tweets reads, had a real good time listening to this episode, was a huge Power Rangers fan and I loved WMAC Masters too. And thanks for reposting the Max Raposi interview, gone far too soon, rest in peace. Yes, thank you very much. Kung Fu Carlito on Twitter for that tweet, glad you enjoyed that show. Also in relation to the Isaac episode, Sifu Tom also writing on Twitter, wrote, This was a fascinating look into the world of DTV production. 
Florentine is a complete legend for being so pragmatic yet proud of the types of films he makes. Awesome as always, Ben. Thank you so much for that message, Sifu Tom. And a big thank you to everyone who has sent me an email or a message over social media. It is really great to hear from you guys and find out what you think, not just about the podcast, but also the website and the newsletter and all those other things that we do here. So you can get in touch with me. It's very easy. We are on Twitter at KF Movie Guide. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. The name on both of those platforms is just at Kung Fu Movie Guide. And the email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, then it's Ron Van Cleef time, or Shidoshi Ron Van Cleef, I probably should say. So I think the first memory I have of seeing Ron Van Cleef in action was probably on Toby Russell's documentary Top Fighter. I don't know if any of you guys remember that one. That's back back in the VHS days. And I'm a big fan of Ron's movies, of course. He's written many books as well over the years, including an autobiography. It's called The Hanged Man. It was first published in 2012 and it has now been made into a documentary by the martial artist, actor and producer Robert Parham. Robert was very kind to send me a link to that documentary ahead of chatting to Ron. So thank you so much, Robert, for doing that and for actually introducing me to Ron to record this episode back in March of this year 2021. Ron was at his home in Honolulu, Hawaii and I couldn't have been further away from Hawaii at that time talking to him from my place here in London. So look, Ron's life has been full of ups and downs to say the least I think anyone who knows Ron's story or has read The Hanged Man will know that um, Ron has had to deal with a lot of trauma in his life. He was serving in the US Marines from 1960 to 65, and it did include a tour in Vietnam. And he actually lost his younger brother, Pete, was killed in that war. Ron also survived a lynching at the hands of the Ku Klux Klan in the early 1960s and it was that incident that inspired the name of his book The Hanged Man so I do feel that before we get into this I should forewarn people that we do talk about some things during this conversation that some listeners may find quite upsetting particularly in relation to describing that racially motivated attack in which he only narrowly survived So we do talk about that incident quite a bit on this show. And I should also warn you that there is quite a bit of swearing on this episode. So if you don't like bad language or maybe you're playing this in the car or there's children running around in the background or whatever it is, I should just pre-warn you there is quite a bit of swearing on this episode of the show. I will be back at the end of this conversation just to provide a little bit more Ron Van Cleef information including details on a very special event that he will be attending alongside some other very special guests but before all of that let's hear from the man himself the black dragon here we go then here is my conversation with the amazing ron van cleef so you're in hawaii yes Yes. 
so about nine years. Nine years. Okay. Now that's not a bad place to be um, during a lockdown, is it? <laughs> no, not really. Are you still uh, teaching out there? Um, I haven't taught since I've been in Hawaii. I've okay. been studying jujitsu with Helson Gracie at the um, Rancheraki Academy here in uh, Honolulu. I didn't want to confuse myself, you know? Yeah. I had to, I took off my black belt, I put on a white belt okay. nine years ago to, to fulfill my dream of developing a ground game. You know, I fought Hoist Gracie at UFC 4 when I was 51. He was 26 at the time. Yeah. And I always wanted to redo that, but with ground skills. Yeah. But over the years and that you've trained in the martial arts, there can't be too much more learning that, that you need to do. You always have to keep training. Yeah. There's, you can never learn enough. The learning process is, is eternal. What is it about the martial arts that even to this day, and I hope you don't mind me saying you're 78 years yes. old, yeah? Yes. What is it about the martial arts that still keeps you going back, learning more, developing your skills? What, what is it about the martial arts, do you think? Well, as I said before, learning is, is an eternal process. Um, yeah. There's no such thing as a, a perfect fighter. You know, I mean, it, it does not exist. Uh, yeah. Perfection really is continuing your training and learning process. If you can continue that, that's a perfect process. But the 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 end result is never perfection. It can't yeah. be. It's impossible. Yeah. But I train because I find that martial arts has been my life since 1959. Um, you know, I started in jiu-jitsu, traditional jiu-jitsu, and... Uh, I was a gymnast in school, and so my only outlet really was martial arts as a kid at the yeah. uh, St. John's Community Center in Brooklyn where I started. And uh, I trained with Moses Powell until I went in the Marine Corps in 1960. Yeah. Over to yeah. Okinawa. I trained over there with the Shimabukus, uh, Shurinru, Ishinru, Okinawa Tei, some Goju, some Shore Goju. Um, had some training with uh, Grandmaster Peter Urban before I went into Marine Corps. Yeah. Uh, Powell introduced me to him in 1959, 1960. And uh, I thought that Goju would be a great uh, addition to the jiu-jitsu. And so I went on the journey with Goju. And I have to say, I've seen footage of you. You're still training you're working out you may be 78 but i can see you in front of me now you certainly look you still look sprightly ron what's this i can still do 100 push-ups in one set amazing um which isn't great because i've been doing 100 push-ups since i was 15 years old yeah i, I used to do 500 push-ups a day for years for years yeah is it just conditioning over time and then uh, you can still do this stuff? You still feel you know, fit? I stopped stretching in 1961. I haven't warmed up or stretched ever. I competed in karate tournaments for over 50 years. I retired as a five-time world champion and a 15-time All-American. 
but I never warmed up once when I competed. Even when I went to the UFC, I took three deep breaths. I went into the octagon. Yeah. You know, stretching may be good, but I've I've not gotten into that yet. Maybe when yeah. I get older. Yeah. But I find that if if I keep my machine working and I keep the right uh, uh, stimulus for my mind, my body will do what it's supposed to do if it's in shape to do it. Yeah. So I, I keep my muscles toned. Um, you know, I do four or 500 reps of stomach stuff every day. Um, I do a lot of band work, you know. Uh, and now, uh, three days a week, I do heavy weights, heavy squats, heavy bench presses, uh, trying to get uh, my bones and muscles to adapt to being old. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just left an hour and a half to get to class, and I'm sore as hell. But really? that's normal for me after class. Sometimes I can hardly walk down the stairs. My knees yeah. hurt, my back hurts. Um, Do you have, have you had to switch up your training a bit as you've got older? Have you felt well, the muscles? I, I stopped doing uh, karate sparring when yeah. I turned 69. <laughs> okay. I competed in karate tournaments until I was 60. Yeah. You, you uh, won. You won, won the All-American when I was 60. Yeah. Yeah. And I just find that at my age now, it just takes so long for injuries to heal. And yeah. I'm tired of people punching and kicking my body. Yeah. Just, you know, it's just very hard, you know. And I, I decided to go to jiu-jitsu. And not that I gave up my goju and my other arts, but I found that I was negligent in groundwork. I yeah, found yeah. that uh, for over 55 years, I trained just upstairs, hands and legs. Lots of the karate people say, ah, oh, groundwork sucks. You know, no one's going to take you down. I'll, I'll kick them in the face. I'll do this and that. You know what? Nothing is 100%. Yeah. There is no martial art that is 100%. Most of the jiu-jitsu guys are striking now. So yeah. this, this, this combination of jiu-jitsu and striking arts is that's perfection. The Black Dragon. The name, the Black Dragon. Let's get this cleared up. Okay. It says Bruce in your Lee book. Gave you that name Bruce Lee 19, gave you the name. 1966 or 1967 at uh, Henry Cho's All American Championship in New York. Um, I had lost the final match to a, a really fine karate man. His name was Joe Hayes. Brilliant fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant fighter. Um, he was doing a Superman punch back in the 60s. Imagine. He yeah. beat me with that in the 60s. He jumped up in the air and punched me right in the stomach for the final point, which broke the tie, and he beat me. A wonderful, he's passed on, a wonderful, wonderful man and an amazing athlete. Bruce was sitting in the audience. Bruce went up and took a picture with Joe. I took the picture of them, and yeah. he said... Can I take a picture? You said, no, 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 because I lost. He says, no, you didn't lose. Everybody, when they go in the ring, somebody has to lose. No matter how great you are, there's always one winner, one loser. But you're not a loser because you were there. You participated. You did your best. Yeah. He says, you're the Black Dragon. I said, what? 
you know, we laughed about it. We smoked a little weed together. And then I never thought of it again. But less than 10 years later, I went to Hong Kong with Sarah from Carol Lexis, and my first film was The Black Dragon. Yeah. yeah. How crazy is Amazing. that? Amazing. But you sparred with Bruce Lee a few times, didn't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. At his school in, in Oakland. And uh, we even sparred in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, I mean... What a nice man. You, yeah. I mean, he was... A, a um, real philosopher... And he yeah. put his money where his mouth was. He yeah. weighed 130 pounds. I was 185, 190. And yeah. he's, he was very powerful. Yeah. Really good reflexes. Mm, really quick. good reflexes. And what he did, he inspired me to develop my Wing Chun technique in that I was able to block and counter simultaneously. And that really helped me in my career in, in martial arts competition because I was able to beat bigger, stronger, faster guys because as they punched, I blocked and counted simultaneously, which yeah. allowed me to have an extra movement. Yeah. So they punch, I blocked, punch, 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 and it was over. You said in your book that he beat you to the punch 60 to 70% of the time. Yes. Which makes me think 30% of the time, you landed a few on him. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were sparring. I round kicked him in the face one time, and uh, he just laughed and uh, kicked me in the balls. You know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, a, a really nice man. Lots of people really never got to know him, and I didn't really get to know him. But yeah, we 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 respected each other's martial arts abilities, mm -hmm. and to, just to be able to spar with him and to do chi sao with him, it was yeah. fascinating. Fascinating, wow. you know, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And he was a lot better than most people thought. They thought because he never entered tournaments that he couldn't fight. He could fight. Yeah. He could fight rather well. Blitz, combinations, leg kicks, groin kicks, really a technician. That's the thing that people say against Bruce Lee in a way that he wasn't someone like yourself. He wasn't a Chuck Norris who had the trophies in the cabinet because he was a, a champion competition fighter. Bruce Lee was more of a, um, like a scientist in a way, wasn't he? The way he studied it. The warrior school, you know, a philosophical warrior. Yeah. You know, we were reading some stuff one day in his car. We were having a smoke, you know, and yeah. we were reading some Napoleon Hill stuff. When you study philosophy and, and psychology, it does give you a different perspective on your training. Yeah. It really does. I found Bruce to be an excellent martial artist. I didn't find many holes in his defense, you know? Yeah. Even though I was able to score, he was always able to score either at the same time or just a millisecond behind. Yeah. He hit me so many times one time, I had to stop and say, how many times did you hit me? I thought it was twice. It was five times. It's like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> but strong, strong, strong round kick, strong side kick. Um, very fluid, had good footwork. Well, I, threw, I threw a hook at him one time. He just went underneath it, and he punched me in the lower butt pit of my stomach. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, excuse me. You know what I mean? I was like, holy shit, man. 
Did you ever meet him then when you got to Hong Kong or had he already, had I, I he already passed him. at that point? No, I met him in Hong Kong when he yeah. was when Into the Dragon. I actually yeah. went on a set. I met Angela Mao Ying. And imagine, two years ago, I went to Angela's restaurant. Yeah, in, in New in, York. Uh, yeah, Queens, yeah. right? Yeah, and she yeah. said, the last time I saw you, you had hair. <laughs> I had a big afro, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last time I saw you, you had hair. <laughs> yeah. And we both laughed. It was so funny. He, I saw him three days before he died. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. Was that just for a uh, to meet up to train or what? Uh, what was dim sum. Like? We had some, some food. Yeah. Oh, nice. We're making road, yeah. He'd been striving so hard to get that fame and the acclaim that he... He wanted in the recognition, and I know Enter the Dragon hadn't come out at that point, but um, he you know, he, he never saw the complete you? film. He never saw it, did he? No. Yeah. But how did he, he see to how famous he was going to be? Yeah, you know? he yeah. didn't know. That's that's what's so sad about it, isn't it? And I guess um, it must have been such a shock when he did when he did die. When Carter Wong called me, I was yeah. living in Hong Kong at the time. Carter Wong called me and said, "Bruce is dead." You know, I said, come on, man, this is bullshit. You know, what, yeah. what, are you, what are you talking about? He says, no, really, really, he's dead. I turned on the television. It was on the on the news. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And I had seen him maybe two or three days before. He was with Nora, you know. Nora Mao, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's life, yeah. man. Wow, wow. It was a, it was a big shock. Because yeah. you think somebody that's in, he was in spectacular shape, not just good shape. He was in spectacular shape. He had some problem with his back. You know, yeah. he told me about he had a problem with his back. But other than that, he was looking good and moving fast, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very pleasant man. Very pleasant. Very pleasant. We talked until 2 o'clock in the morning in the hotel in New York at the All-American. Two o'clock in the morning, we were still talking. And was he helpful for your film career? Because didn't he didn't he get you or encourage you to me, get involved? I, in I need to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, he says, he they're, never the gonna, they're never going to accept a black guy doing martial arts here in America. He says, "Go Is to Hong Kong." Is that what he said? That's what he told me. It's the butterfly style. You were born in Brooklyn, 1943. Yes. January 25th, 1943. You speak quite fondly about that time, even though, you know, you guys were poor. You grew, you grew up in quite a poor situation. Is that my, fair? My father was a heroin addict. He yeah. was a um, merchant marine. He had been uh, in the war. He had been uh, torpedoed in the ocean. He had watched... Hundreds of his uh, mates be eaten by sharks. He spent uh, three weeks in the water. So he came back. They called it battle fatigue. They called it PTSD now. But yeah. uh, I didn't know. I just thought he was crazy. I didn't well, they didn't have the words back then to describe yes. what that was. Or and, they would have said shell shock or something, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. So he, he was very, very harsh with me. If he if I did something wrong, I would get a punch or a kick or something, you know. Yeah. And a punch from a two hundred and ten pound six foot one guy on a fifteen year old kid hurts. 
you know, yeah. knocked, knocked you down. You know, when I went in the Marine Corps, I, I came home from boot camp to show him that, you know, I'm a man now and this and that. He punched me right in the face. As soon as he saw me in my uniform, I woke up unconscious on my mother's kitchen floor. And that yeah. was the last time I saw him alive. The next time I saw him, it was in the coffin. Yeah, he 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 died eventually, didn't he? Of uh, yes. heroin he overdose. Yeah. A heroin overdose in the uh, the Lyric Theater on Forty Second Street, in Times Square. He just wanted me to be a man. Yeah. In his eyes, I was very soft. You know, I, I, as a kid, my interests were drawing, illustrations, art, yeah. uh, gymnastics. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with martial arts, but I was 16 then. But before that, my only interests were gymnastics and drawing. So as far as he was concerned, I was a little fairy, you know? Because yeah. you were into creative pursuits. Yes. What would have made him happy then, do you think? Well, he thought I was a coward, a punk, you know, because yeah. someone stole my bike as a kid and I didn't want to fight them. Because I didn't see a reason, I didn't see a reason to fight them. Yeah. To me, fighting is is a serious thing. Fighting can end up in death or dismemberment or serious consequences. And I didn't think, as a kid, that uh, it was worth it. He thought I was afraid, but I wasn't afraid. Yeah. It was my choice. I didn't want to. I mean, I eventually beat up a kid that had been bullying me. But uh, it wasn't by choice. He pushed me to a point. He could, I couldn't get, get, a, get away from it, so I had to lay a beating on it. You know? That's how I started the martial arts. My father said, uh, you have to learn how to defend yourself. My mother said, yeah, you got to go to this school. So he appreciated that then, when you started studying the martial arts? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what were the avenues that were open to you when you were growing up? Ron, I mean, what were the expectations that you were going to pursue? I know you, it seems you had creative pursuits. I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. Because I still draw rather well. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until I went in the Marine Corps that I changed my mind. Chu Ching Kong, the king treated you well. Why do you betray him? What do you want? Ha! The military and actually signing up to be a marine, that seems to have been quite an obsession of yours growing up. Like, it, it, it was an like, obsession. I trained yeah. for three, four years. Push-ups. Uh, I, I joined a group called the Blue Jackets, which was a semi-military organization. I learned the port of arms. I learned the manual arms. I, you know, I, I did all of that stuff yeah. and started jujitsu. I did everything to prepare myself for Paris Island, South Carolina. Yeah, and nothing was good enough. Yeah, nothing was good enough. Nothing could have prepared me for what I was to uh, see. The drill instructors hated you because you were black. There were five black Marines in my company. Talking about ninety people. Yeah, we took shit. We took shit. There's a line in your book where you say there was no racism in the dojo. And that line stuck with me. It feels like your time in Brooklyn growing up when you were a teenager seems like quite innocent times. Yes, it was. 
And I was drawing pictures of Bambi. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but then, as soon as you arrive, you know, in South Carolina for military boot camp, boot camp it was couldn't have been weapons. more. Yeah, the complete the opposite was, of that. Yeah. The day that I got there, I knew that I had made a mistake. Really? Okay. My father had told me, don't join the Marine Corps. Don't go into service. You're just going to be cannon fodder. You know, he knew. I didn't know. And uh, I never regretted going to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a shock for me to be treated that way, to, to have white-only signs on the base. You couldn't even go to the same bathroom. You had to drink from a different faucet. So this is 1960. This is pre-civil rights movement. Yeah. This is still segregation. Very harsh. Very harsh. Um, yeah. I had heard stories about uh, black guys being lynched and whatnot uh, in, in Jacksonville and Kingston and places. Never thought I would be one of those, you know? So do you might you don't mind talking about this obviously I mean the hanged man is the name of the book yeah. and the documentary and and yes. so on but I mean we're talking about a time when the KKK was still they were you know, a very prominent force the, the marine corps didn't even want to do anything about it they 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 tried to fix my body in the hospital but they could care less can you remember the incident leading up to the attack well, I, I, I went on a bus. I, I took the bus from the from the base to Jacksonville, and from Jacksonville, I took another bus, um, another bus to Kingston. And when yeah. I got on the second bus, the first bus had a lot of Marines on it because we were coming from the base. You know, you in your twenties, early twenties. I was twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty one, and um, I, I got on this bus and. I was told to sit in the back of the bus and it was just one of those days, you know, sometimes you have one of those days where you just say, fuck it. And I just sat like the third row up. Well, yeah. they, they drove along a little while and then they stopped the bus and the police came and took me off the bus. They took me to a police station and they called the base to have somebody pick me up, you know, but later on that evening, they said, okay, you can go. The police took you off the bus because why exactly? Because you were sitting in the wrong just... place. Okay. Black people were supposed to sit in the back of the bus. They took me off the bus and uh, they called the base and they, they said someone's going to come pick me up and they, they said, you can go. I was walking toward the bus stop and this truck came by and these guys started yelling. I turned around. There must have been about 20 or 30 guys there with uh, pitchforks and, you know, farming implements, you know. Yeah. And so uh, what does the Marine do? You, would, you you just go right into them, you know, and I fought as best. You were in your uniform. I was in my uniform with my duffel bag in my hand. I sat it down and I just, next yeah. thing I knew, a guy hit me in the face with a shovel, knocked out five of my teeth. You know, and uh, I don't even remember. I remember the rope around my neck. I couldn't breathe. I don't know to this day who cut me down. I woke up. I was in the hospital. 
I couldn't talk because my jaw was broken and it was wired. So, yeah. but I heard the nurses and doctors saying, let's kill this We don't want to, you know, what is he doing here? You know? You were in the hospital for five months? I was in the hospital for one day off base in Kingston, North yeah. Carolina. My friend Danny came and picked me up and took me back to the base and they put me in the base hospital, the Navy hospital. And I was there about four months. I mean, it's a horrendous incident to, to look back on and to think about. You do pinpoint your PTSD to that moment. Is that is that correct? For sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, I trained for three years to join the Marine Corps. I, it was the, the... If I had a billion dollars, it would not have replaced the feeling that I had being able to go and join the Marine Corps. Really? You were that... You were I was that, that excited. Yeah. I was that yeah. gung-ho. I didn't want to do the Army. I didn't want to do the Navy. didn't want to do the Air Force. John Wayne. Yeah. Iwo Jima. That film was a turning point in my life. This romantic notion of what it was to be a Marine, do you feel that you were duped? You know, you were conned in a way. Oh, it's a con job. All military is a con job. They need cannon fodder. You know, the yeah. rich people, uh, the industrialists, the war, these people that own all these companies that make uh, bombers and make machine guns, they have to sell that stuff. That stuff can't sit in the warehouse forever. So the CIA, all these different organizations create these situations and they sell uh, $20 million worth of bombs to Iraq or wherever, you know? My brother was killed in Vietnam. In 1966, yeah. my only brother. And he was 22 when he died. What is that? You know? Yeah. Uh, is a career in the Marine Corps something that you would advocate for someone? Would you Would you recommend it? I, I would have I would have done that. My goal was that until I was lynched. And then I wanted to get out as soon as possible. But I had to finish my six years. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Reading about your time in the Marines is 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 really shocking, and and let, you I have mean, no idea how shocking it was to me. Yeah, I had this idyllic uh, thought of what the Marine Corps was going to do for me. Yeah, esprit de corps, fight for your country, patriotism, America 
first. All of that. Wow. Yeah. I was so gung-ho. I would clean my rifle for hours and hours and hours. I would spit shine my shoes and boots until you could actually see your eyelashes in them. You know what I mean? I was like a really gung-ho. And the, the, the white Marines, it just really blew my mind. They would piss down the barrel, the bore of my rifle. They would put dirt into my fucking uh, muzzle. They would do all kinds of shit to make me fail. And that was because of racism? Yes. Oh, when I, the first day in, I got in boot camp, he says, I'm not sleeping in no, no bed near n***. Mm. First day, I had a fight in the shower. Then they gave me a blanket party. You know what a blanket party is? No. Huh? You're laying in your bed, they throw a blanket over you, two guys hold it on both sides, so you're like a mummy flat, and they beat you while you're laying there with bars of soap in, in the towel. Hmm. Yeah. Was there no no one you could say anything to for the treatment that you were going Ooh. through? No. Ooh. Because your sergeants were the ones responsible. They could care less. I had a sergeant who had a KKK tattoo on his arm. Wow. Really? It's so shocking to to hear in this day and age, but we do have to remember that but racism you know, isn't dead. Racism I, isn't dead. I live dead. in Hawaii. Yeah, you know uh, the Marine Corps had a birthday last year, seventeen seventy-five. Yeah. Blah blah blah. So I had my Marine Corps cap on. I went to the mall because they had a big uh, Marine Corps thing there. A tall white guy walked by me with a Marine Corps cap, and I said, "Semper Fi." You know what he said to me? They didn't have any like you in the core when I was in the core. This is 2021. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, like, what did my brother die for? What did I, what, what did I spend six years and took all that shit for? For what? And you see what happened to George Floyd last year and the Black Lives Matter movement that came as a result of that. And that was last year. Yes, it, shone, it shines a, a light on. Thing. This is a constant thing and it will not change. Look at the guy that was in the White House. Oh, my goodness. I used to work for him when he was a civilian. I trained his wife in martial arts and fitness and his boys. Yeah. Wow. What was he like? Difficult, never paid on time, always yeah. late, kids always late. Yeah. But there must be signs of hope as well, Ron. I mean, you must see, you know, the youth and the protests that uh, that happen as a result, or are you not? I, I, you know, I've lived a long time, and I had hoped to see better things happen by this time. And in in truth, uh, things haven't changed. Uh, voter suppression, you know, if it weren't for people having these cameras and phone cameras, it, you would not know the state of affairs here. Nothing has changed, really. Um, I thought when Obama was elected, he was going to be assassinated. That was my worry for the first two years. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was what people talked about. I had bet yeah. money that he was going to be assassinated. Yeah. And I met President Obama. I went to the White House and I gave him a copy of my book, The Hangman. And he wrote me such a beautiful letter. 
you know? What a nice man. You know, I didn't agree yeah. with everything he did as president, but he was a hell of a lot better than that guy that came after him. And we can only hope that, I guess, with every step and every new generation that changes are made that can, can build a fairer society. I mean, you must, if you think of the 60s with segregation, Ron, and what you were living through, and my God, the treatment there that you that you went through. If you were, you know, a young black man in the Marines today, you wouldn't be treated like that. No, but the only difference is the same people that were those Marines that went through boot camp with me are now congressmen and senators mm. and governors and Secret Service agents and FBI agents. So I, I don't see, um, I wouldn't let my son go in the military. You wouldn't recommend that as a, as not a for any person of color. Not for any person of color. You know, we can fight these wars in all these countries, but we can't get our own rights in America? What kind of bullshit is that, man? You know, I mean, it's, it's totally bullshit. Do you think there's an argument, just as a devil's advocate here, sure. for the... the not to the extremes that you went through, but the purpose of the Marine Corps, as you say in your book, is to build killers. You know, they're sending yes. people out into war zones to they, defend the country, yeah. to make yeah, you a no killer. Emotion. That's why you're there. So does it seem... How does that work for, after you leave there? All my friends are messed up. My mind is messed up. I've had PTSD. I've been in and out of fucking hospitals and all kinds of stuff. You know... It's even hard to talk about. The, yeah. the, you you want to do your best as a human being, you know? And, and you want to be treated like a human being. But that's not how things work right now. And it's never worked like that in my life. I've never witnessed that. I'm not saying that all white people are bad or all black people are bad or all of that. But the situation... The people that are in control that make these voter suppression laws and these things, this has to end. It, it has to end someday. Yeah. It has to end someday. What's the solution then, Ron? How do we get back to some kind of normality? You know, people say you want to get, they want to get back to normal. Normal wasn't shit for me, you know, or, or people of color. I don't know. You know, Oprah said something and, and they took it uh, very to heart that all the older white people have to die first before things change. And th that sounds harsh and it sounds wrong. But, you know, a racist isn't born. They're created through ideology and, 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 and programming and... and these people are evil. I see it as evil. I'm not really a religious person, but mm -hmm. if you're going to hang somebody or kill somebody just because their skin is a different color, you have some mental issues. You know, to me, uh, that whole racism is a, is a terminal mental disease, not only for the perpetrators, but for the people that have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's terminally mental disease. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that changing until 
this whole, okay. 50 years from now, we'll start to see a change. That's how I see it. We haven't talked about the movies yet, and we are the Kung Fu Movie Guide, so we should talk I, about the movies. I started uh, in the film business in 1966. I was with the East Coast Stuntmen's Association. I worked on Ryan's Hope. I worked on um, Kojak. Um, I worked on a lot of uh, episodic stuff. Yeah. I was the bartender at the Crystal Palace on, on Ryan's Hope for five years. And they were just filming in New York? Yes. I worked on over 300 films in my career in the film business. Yeah. I was uh, I was a, the head of the Stunt and Safety Committee for 25 years. But your big break comes when Seraphine Carolexis, who is this film producer... Well, it, it actually started before that. Betty White was my agent at the Black Beauty Modeling Agency. Okay. She's the one that got me the audition with Seraphine Carolexis for The Black Dragon. And was the audition specifically, it was for a film and you knew it was called The Black Dragon. He was looking for um, a black, a martial, black artist. martial artist to work in Hong Kong. Yes. They had auditions in eight different states. They had thousands of people. You know, when I auditioned, <laughs> really funny, I, I did some form, I did some self-defense, I jumped up and I kicked the light in the ceiling, light bulb yeah. in the ceiling, and, uh, <laughs> and I left. The next day, Betty called me. She says, you got it. I said, I got what? She says, you're going to Hong Kong next month. I said, holy shit, I got it. And then Seraphim and I became really good friends. He's actually my son's godfather. What did Seraphim see in you then during that audition? Did he tell you? I don't you? know. Yeah. You know, okay. We just became friends. Um, we were chess partners. Um, I actually played chess with um, Nixon, with President Nixon. Nixon bought uh, Seraphim's townhouse on 68th Street. Oh, wow. And I would go there and I would play chess with Seraphim and with Nixon. Yeah. Played wow. chess with him at least a dozen times. Bad loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, I could, could imagine. <laughs> but he was really sharp. Yeah. Really sharp man, you know? Yeah. We had yeah. some very philosophical conversations. And so Seraphim, I can say he opened the door in Hong Kong for me. Yeah. You know, I met people at, uh, I met Yo Ben Yi, who used to be a uh, manager with the Shaw Brothers. Well, you yeah. land in Hong Kong at a time where the film industry there is just absolutely booming. Yeah, shoot a complete film in four weeks. Complete yeah. film, shoot in four weeks. 10, 12 hour days. I had never experienced anything like that because I had worked on films in America and they were all big budget, you know, TV series, stuff like that. Yeah. I went there. The crew was like six people. Everybody did everything. Yeah. Sound guy was the cook. It was just, and nobody spoke English. <laughs> yeah. So this is the film, The Black Dragon, 1974. Yeah. You're in the Philippines. Uh, yes, it's sort of partly more. filmed in the Philippines and Hong Kong as well. Did you know uh, sort of what was, you know, the script or did you have any idea what the story was? I had you- no idea. No. I read the um, synopsis on the plane going to Hong Kong. Yeah. Because Jason Powell is the guy who's the main... Yeah, Yeah, he became my student. He became my student. Okay. Big TV actor in Hong Kong. Really good guy. 
Yeah. We became very, very close friends. He introduced me to all of uh, Fusheng, uh, Wang Yu, Seiken, Sunny Chiba. I met all of those people through him. Because you were in Hong Kong then for a long time. You were, you signed a five picture deal. Yes. So you were there for. I, I came back and forth, but I spent about 10 years in Hong Kong. Yeah. And then, then they sent me off to Thailand to work on some films. They sent me to Korea to work on some films. Um, it was interesting. Did you have aspirations then to become a leading man, to become a big no. action no. star? You know no. what? Uh, when I became famous or popular or whatever you want to call it from the Black Dragon films, I didn't like it. You didn't like it? I didn't like it at all. It was quite an invasion on my life. Um, I would go to a store or something and someone would stop me and ask me for an autograph or I'd be in a, a, a bathroom and someone would ask me for an autograph while I'm urinating. I mean, it got to be just too much. You know, one day I was talking to a guy and I said, can you give me a light? And he went to give me a light. He said, oh, it's Ron Van Cleef. And I was like, oh, man. You know, and he yelled it out really loud. You know, just... Because we can't underestimate just how powerful that image was here you were you were the first black leading man in a hong kong action film i know there was there was no one before you but you know in hong kong there's racism too um it's not like in america Uh, i was called a hakwai hakwai black ghost so like will never be accepted, you know. Uh, like a Guaylo is a white ghost, but everybody that's not Chinese is already dead. That's why they refer to you as a ghost. But, you know, people would come up and they'd feel my hair when I had hair, of course. They'd feel my afro and they'd touch my skin. And I got used to that because most people that I met in Hong Kong had never seen a black person in person. Yeah. They'd seen them only on television or on a movie screen. So I, I was like an oddity. I was like a unicorn. Yeah. But you were a huge star, not just in Hong Kong, but the film took off in the States all as well. It was world. a big, big hit. All over yeah. the world. You know, when I left Hong Kong, I went to live in Ghana for three years. Yeah. And uh, I had a thousand students in my school there. Yeah. A thousand, like an army. And it's, and it's just because of the Black Dragon film. Yeah. You know, it was it was I was amazed by the effect that being that character had affected my whole life. Yeah. In every in every area. You know? It, yeah. was, it was quite uh, quite a revelation. After the death of the dragon comes a new American superstar, 16 years in the martial arts, 7th degree black belt, and four times world champion. Introducing Ron Van Cleef as the Black Dragon. We said enough. Now we'll let him do the talking. Are you creep? The Black Dragon. Rougher, tougher, and stronger than anything you've seen before. None of that jumping around and flying through the air, because this is the real shit. 
the movies wasn't something you necessarily continued or pursued once you moved back to America. I know you did a bit of stunt work. I was um, never, I never really wanted to be a movie star. Yeah. It happened. I did the best I could with it, but it wasn't something that I was really interested in. I was a Kung Fu movie fan. But when I met most of these stars, they knew nothing about martial arts. 90% of them knew nothing about martial arts. Lole, the guy from Five Fingers of Death, he was an actor, had no martial arts experience. Yeah. A lot of the Shaw Brothers guys didn't really, they went through their training, their Kung Fu school, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. They hired the martial arts yeah. instructors to, to teach them the moves. But you were, you did make friends when you were out in Hong Kong. I know oh, you mentioned I Carter Wong. Friends. Yeah. Carter yeah. was a very, very good friend to me. Um, he even got me hired on lots of projects after I left Seraphim. Um, Way of the Black Dragon, I think, was he, one of his, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a really good guy, and he was yeah. a martial artist. He punched me in the face one day in the hotel. <laughs> we were shooting that film, Way of the Black Dragon. They had to put makeup on my eye because it was black and blue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was foreign, you know? Like Leo Fong. I did a film with him in the film. Leo Fong, yeah. Called uh, uh, The Bamboo Trap. The Bamboo Leo Trap. Leo kicked me so hard one day in my leg, I couldn't walk. <laughs> I, couldn't, <Yeah. laughs> I couldn't do the fight scene that day. <laughs> There's a few people you worked with. You worked a lot with um, Charles Bonnet. Charlie and I did three films together. Yeah, three films. Charlie and I went to work together. I met him in Okinawa. Ah, so you knew him from way back. I knew him from way back, and he was one of my students in New ah, York. Okay. Um, He's great, great on screen. Guy. Yeah. It's so sad he passed away last year, you know? Did he? Yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I was going to ask you, Ron, what happened to him. And now we're releasing his films. I just yeah. did a Zoom on his last film. It was Slumlord. I just did a, um, an interview where I talk about Charlie on that for that film. Yeah. It's very nice to, to do. Yeah. That. He's great in that movie you did with uh well in the mo in all the movies you did with him, but particularly the Black Dragon's Revenge, I think oh, it's yeah. called. <laughs> that's Charlie a fun did movie. That movie. Oh did he? He did it because he died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he that's was true. So pissed off. Oh yeah. he was pissed off with me for years after that. <laughs> really? He thought that I arranged that. <laughs> but I didn't. No, I didn't write the script. I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know the story until I got to Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because were you still learning the language then? Because you could speak yeah. Cantonese after a yes. few years. Yeah. Oh yeah, it took me a couple of years. Yeah, and, yeah. and and quite a bit of Tagalog, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. I I love the Philippines. And you worked quite a lot around Asia, didn't you? So Philippines, I Thailand. In, oh, yeah, I worked, worked in, in Thailand. Korea. I worked yeah, in, yeah. Um, Taiwan did a couple yeah. of films in Taiwan uh, some television stuff yeah. um, pretty cool stuff though I mean you know I worked doing voiceovers uh, in yeah. English for Chinese films and that's what kept me alive in between films those films will never be made like that again in many ways you can't that classic... film in three weeks <laughs> no but I mean, those style, that style of fight action, yeah. the amazing fight choreography, that yes. Hong Kong uh, kung fu movie, 
you there's they, never been not any made. place better than Hong Kong for those type films. Yeah, you know, yeah. Now Vietnam is coming along. They've got some yeah. really, really good choreographers now, and uh, Thailand is really coming along. I, I had a chance to meet Tony Ja on location on the film. What a nice guy. Yeah, what a really very sweet guy. Pleasant, sweet guy. Yeah, a sweet guy. Do you still watch martial arts films? Are you a fan of them? Not no. so much. You no, know, I, I, I watch Michael Jai White's films. Yeah, he's was, fantastic. He, he's, he's a great guy. He's a real martial artist. And if he wasn't such a wonderful man and a great martial artist, I would have never passed the mantle of the Black Dragon to him. I saw that. Yeah. I yeah, did that well, because honest. he was the only one that I thought was really um, relevant enough. His his martial arts, he's got a black belt in seven different styles. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he just got his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Man, that's not easy. It's nine years I've been working on getting mine, and I'm only a purple belt. So I figure another nine years it's going to take me to make black belt. Yeah. Are you good, good buddies with Mike? Do you speak oh, to him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He calls me his mentor, you know. That's nice. He, he's a great guy. His wife's a great a great lady. Yeah, and Julian. He's going to be a big star. Yeah. He's going to be a big star. Yeah, yeah. But martial arts is excellent. I was a martial artist, and I, I, I lost my interest, really, in martial arts films. I, I really lost my interest in films. Um, if, if Robert... Parham wasn't my friend, I would have never done uh, Snow Black with him. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to Danny Trejo recently. I'm going to do a film with him. Um, and I'm going to do a film with uh, Fred Williamson and Jim Brown. They're redoing Three the Hard Way. Wow, are they really? Yeah. And so, are you going to uh, be in it, Ron? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. And I, I, I just, uh, <laughs> Michael sent me a script for a film called Make a Difference. It okay. will be starring Michael Jai White, Ty Guariello, and Ron Van Cleef. Wow. This summer in Atlanta. At the That's fantastic. And it's sort of like Boys in the Hood, but with martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> really cool script. Yeah. Michael is the kid that leaves the ghetto. He comes back successful. And I'm playing his teacher and Ty Mark's teacher. And my part, I'm playing Moses Powell. I have the oh, honor wow. of playing my teacher's part. I'm so humbled and honored by that. Yeah. You know? Wow. What and an honor. So, um, that's, those are a couple of projects that I'm working on. Um, I'm in the middle of an animated film now called Tower of the Black Dragon, and we're about, about 75% finished. Wow. Okay. Okay. Animation takes so much time. Yeah. 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 Voice over each, each, it's, it's, but it's going to be a tremendous project. And I never thought that there'd be a film about me. Yeah. You know? It's impossible. How can you last this long? <laughs> Don't you know? We're horse trainers. How many kids do you have, Ron? Five. Five. You know, I've been married eight times. It's, yeah. I thought it was six. Is it eight? Eight. Yes. Okay. I've been widowed twice. Two yep. of my wives died. One of cancer and one in a car accident. And uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman, Kathy Pham. She's Vietnamese. 
and we've been together. We've been married three years now, and uh, the best so far. I'm happier than I've ever been, and uh, you know, life just goes on. You can't, you can't quit. Yeah. You know, I started writing in 1981, so I've written 11 books since then. Yeah, my newest book, uh, The Hangman: My Life Story, um, is presently being looked at to be a major motion picture. Yeah, it should be a movie. It yeah. definitely should yeah. be. Ron, do you have a sort of motto in life that you keep to? What would your motto be? Well, I believe that you have to plan your work and work your plan, but you can never quit and you can never doubt yourself. And you have to keep going. You can't stop no matter what the adversity is. No matter. Look, I've been shot, stabbed, hung, and I'm still alive. And I'm still doing things that are um, accepted by people. I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. You know, yeah. you have to have passion. It's your passion in, to live. You know, yeah. I have aches and pains because I'm old. You know, I just had cataract surgery. I was going blind. I was so blind that I fell over a hydrant in the street that I didn't see. You know those little hydrants that they... Yeah, yeah. And this is yellow. They're yellow here in Hawaii. Yeah. Now, how the hell did I miss that? I fell. <laughs> Luckily, jujitsu, I put my hands down, but on the cement, I bruised both elbows, and I tore a hole in my left shin Oof. that hit this marble piece. Uh, you know, so I had surgery done, both eyes, nine shots in one eye, six shots in the, in the eye, you know? Um, they put in these lenses that are permanent now, so when I spar on things, I have to wear goggles. Wow, okay. I can't take any more, I can't take any more eye injuries. You know? For most people, as they get older, it's quite easy for people to lose that energy, that get up and go that they yeah, once I mean, had, but I think you're, you're such a... I don't have a choice. If I stop, I'm like a shark. If I stop swimming, I'm dead. Yeah. You know, the pandemic put 20 pounds of extra weight on me. Yeah. Well, same here. <laughs> because, not because of just the pandemic, but I had two eye surgeries during the pandemic. And yeah. during that time, you're not allowed to work out at all mm. because of the pressure in your eyes. Yeah, of course. So imagine eight months of no workout at all. Yeah. My first day back at the gym was the most painful experience yeah. that I've had in decades. Yeah, but my wife got me motivated, and five weeks ago we started back at the gym. I go three days a week to the gym, and I have a TRX and I have a Chuck Norris gym at home for the other three days. Great. Well, so I'm on it now, and I'm back. I'm yeah. back. My first day back at class was Monday. I did two seven-minute rounds after all the drills and all the other stuff. I got two submissions, which wow. is rare for me. You have to keep active in your life as you age. And I find this for myself. Uh, I'm depressed if I'm not doing anything. So yeah. I, need, I need to work out like a junkie needs heroin. I yeah. need to work out, you know? Yeah. Thank God my wife and my son and my ex-wife, they've been so supportive to me in yeah. my life, you know? Um, and you know, most people aren't friendly with their ex-wives. My ex-wife's so friendly with my current wife, it's, it's amazing. They're, they're like the best of friends. And That's this is great. a wonderful thing. They're just like two little girls together. I mean, it's just, I'm happier now than, than I've ever been in my life. I really great. Am. 
Yeah. You know, um, you, you have to keep your mind active, not just yeah. your body needs to work, but your mind needs it also. You know, I, I went in the hospital in 2011 uh, for chronic PTSD. Whew. Yeah. It was 120 days of lockdown. You had to check out a fork and sign for a fork. That's wow. How. Yeah. You still battle with PTSD oh, every every day? Every day. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my wife's Vietnamese. I heard her talking with her mother on the phone in Vietnamese. And I got chills down my back. You know, it was the really? strangest, strangest feelings just out of nowhere. You know, and I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and you still have flashbacks. You yeah. still remember I don't Vietnam. I, don't yeah. I try to get eight hours, um, but I normally get six or seven. I know in the book you speak very candidly, actually, about how you would self-medicate, how you would use drugs, and how common that when, is for... When I was younger, when I was in the 60s and 70s, I did heroin, I did cocaine. Timothy Leary gave me my first uh, taste of fucking acid when yeah. I was again at NYU. He gave me some mescaline on a tab, on a piece of paper. I'm yeah. tripping at NYU. <laughs> But I mean, I still smoke pot, but it's medical yeah. marijuana. I finally got uh, my uh, card, and it's part of my treatment plan from the VA. And yeah. so it's yeah. actually within my um, medical uh, diagram now. Yeah. So it allows me to sleep, it allows me to yeah. stay calm. And, uh, you know, I don't look at, at marijuana as a drug, I look at it as, as medicine. And so many of my friends, we go to the dispensary, and it's needed. Pain. Yeah. Pain is, you have no idea what chronic pain is like for decades. You know, people say, oh, my pain shoulder. Pain here, it's in the mental pain. But imagine for decades. Yeah. I, I learned a lot from the, the bad things in my life. And I don't look at them as bad things. I look at them as lessons that I've learned. Yeah. Even my bad experiences in the Marine Corps don't uh, don't make me regret going in. I'm happy to this day that I challenged myself enough to go in the Marine Corps, and I served. I was patriotic enough to serve my country, to serve myself as a human being in this society. I mean, by the time I got out, I was hating the Marine Corps. Yeah. But that's another story. Um, Ron, I'll let, you, I'll let you go because I can see someone's trying to get a hold of you. That's my ex-wife. I'm supposed to be... Tomorrow is Kai's birthday, his 15th birthday. Ah, we're planning okay. his big party. And uh, he wants me to go zip lining with him tomorrow. And truthfully, my body can't take that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'd much rather go skydiving. You know? Really? Skydiving for decades, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy the, the zip lining. I've done it. Yeah. You know? I prefer skydiving. Sure. Know? Okay. So I, I told him last night, Kai, if you want to go skydiving, I'm there. You're there. But zip lining, no thanks. <laughs> Not so much. Yeah. Well, whatever you decide to do, Ron, do have a do have a good time. And, uh, and Ben, yeah. thank you so very much, Ron. This has been an absolute 
pleasure. You're an inspiration to so many and and still continue to be. So this has been an absolute honor to uh, talk to you, Ron. Thank you so very much, Ben. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Ron Van Cleef there, the legend himself speaking to me for the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. That was a real thrill for me to chat to Ron. I do hope you enjoyed listening to that. I love his attitude, his compassion and his approach to life. He's such an inspiring man and someone who has had such an incredible and multifaceted life. And I do hope that he does get that black belt in the end. Best of luck with it, Ron. Ron's website is ronvancleef.com. He is also on Twitter at Kai Vancleef. That's K-A-I Vancleef. He's on Instagram as well. The name on Instagram is BlackDragon1974. And you can find Ron on Facebook at ron.vancleef. The book that we were talking about there is called The Hanged Man. That's his autobiography. Do grab a copy of that book if you can get your hands on it. We barely scratched the surface, really, of a lot of the incredible stories that are featured in that book and obviously all the amazing people that he has met over the years. There is a documentary called The Hanged Man that is coming out at some point, although there's no wider release dates yet scheduled for that documentary so do keep it locked to our social media channels for any updates regarding that film also this event that Ron's involved in this looks really cool so Ron will be one of 12 grandmasters who will be attending a virtual event called the ultimate warrior cup championship it will take place on Wednesday the 30th of July. Mark Cascos will be hosting and the special guests include Cynthia Rothrock, Leo Fong and Al Cascos, among many other great masters of the martial arts. For more information, send an email to sifual at aol.com. That's sifual A-L, at aol.com. Or you can send Ron an email and Ron's email address is ronvancleef at yahoo.com so thank you so much to Ron Van Cleef for taking the time to talk to me for this episode and a huge thank you especially to the martial artist and filmmaker Robert Parham for all of his help in teeing up this conversation Robert we should say is a former five-time world kickboxing champion and four-time sport karate champion as well as directing The Hanged Man he recently starred in and directed Ron in a movie called Snow Black I've not seen Snow Black but it is out now on Amazon Prime Video so go and check that out and check out Robert's other films you can find Robert Parham on Instagram his name on Instagram is at the real Robert Parham and he is on Facebook too at robert.parham so thank you Robert and a huge thank you of course to you the loyal Foo follower who has listened to this episode all the way to the very end thank you so much 
for doing so. Remember, do keep it locked to all our usual KFMG pod channels for all the latest news about this show and updates to the website, kungfumovieguide.com. We are now well into season six of this podcast and we will continue to release new episodes every two weeks on a Monday. So I will be back again in two weeks' time with another brand new conversation to share with you all. Until then, do take care and I will see you all again very soon on the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.